0: We were sitting in a room together talking about this very message we're about to dig into on the seven deadly sins. By the way, i got to stop and say this. I have loved talking to so many of you as I've gone through the community, Uh, and how many of you have come up and said, oh my, in this series, you were talking about me. I've had a couple of wives say, no, we were talking about their husbands. (laughs) Anybody else feel like we were talking about you? Anybody? Okay, wait, come on. All of you who are now prideful, we were talking about you. uh, Because you didn't put your hand up or online. But here's the thing I want you to know. is we were sitting around and a question came up, what is harder to do? And there's a passage of scripture that actually talks about something we all believe is very easy to do. And something that's very hard to do. And it's in Romans chapter 12 and it says this in verse 15. That you and I are to rejoice with those who rejoice and we're to weep with those who weep. Which one's harder for you to do? Which one is extremely difficult maybe? If you're single and you find out that one of your really good friends has met the person of their dreams and now they're going to be probably getting married and they're rejoicing, do you find yourself rejoicing with those who rejoice? Or is that hard to do? If you're a couple and you want to have a child, and people all around you are announcing they're getting pregnant and having gender reveals. Is that hard on you? Is that difficult for you? Uh, how about maybe at the place you work, somebody else gets the promotion you wanted and they come in elated and a cloud nine? Is it hard for you to rejoice with those who rejoice? Um, I want to say that without a doubt, uh, a lot of people struggle with that. And maybe I would say this, all of us at some point, in some way, shape, or form, we struggle with that. We struggle with rejoicing with those who rejoice. And yet the Bible says that's one of the things we're supposed to do. I don't believe very many of you struggle with weeping with those who weep. Right? When someone's heart's breaking, someone's world is falling apart, I think the vast majority of you here or online, you look at that person and man, you have tears ready to go with them. And we should. But, but there's something in us that makes it difficult to rejoice with those who rejoice. It's the thing behind the thing. This whole series on the seven deadly sins has been about the thing behind the thing. And now we come to number seven. And let me say about number seven. Number seven of the seven deadly sins is something that is causes great torment within your soul. It's all seven deadly sins are a soul issue. This one creates torment in our soul, and it creates a ruin within our lives. And so that's one of the things we need to understand. You see, because when we start asking that question, why am I acting the way I act? Why am I doing the things I'm doing? Why am I thinking the things I'm thinking or saying the words I'm saying? See, we've all had that moment like, where did that come from? Well, this one's one that begins to tell us where it comes from. By the way, this one's so interesting to me because there's been some very interesting studies on this particular sin uh, that show, are you ready for this? That you weren't created with it. It's not innate to who you are. And I'll be sharing that with you in a moment. But Paul said that you and I are going to battle all of these sins, and we're going to have to fight that battle and win. In Romans chapter 7, verse 18, Paul said this, I know that nothing good dwells within me. That is in my sinful nature. And I want to do what's right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but, you ready for this? I do it anyway. How many of you would say that's true for you? How many of you could go, but if I do what I don't want to do, I'm not really the one doing it. It is the sin living in me. Now, here's what I want you to know that doesn't. Now, here's what I want you to know. That doesn't mean you're not responsible for it, right? You can't go, oh, well, it's not me. It's the sin in me. No, it's still you. But there's sin in you. There's sin in you. Are you ready for this? Even as a believer, there's evil trying to rear its ugly head. And uh, you and I need to, to stop and say, Lord, help me. Lord, help me constantly as we tend to fight that battle. And Paul said, I fight that battle all the time. The very thing I don't want to do, I find myself doing. Let me ask you to have you raise your hand on this one. How many of you have ever done this? I am never going to do that again. And then you did it. How many of you? Okay. Yeah, there you go. All right. And, and online too. You know what? That's so true. And we go, why can't I stop or why can't I I put an end to this? And it's that deadly sin. Jesus talked about the fact there's a thief, the devil himself, who wants to get to you with one of those deadly sins and actually more than one of them. So in John chapter 10, verse 10, it says, the thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. By the way, this deadly sin kills joy and destroys joy. My purpose, he said, though, is to give them a rich and satisfying life. The Lord wants to give you a rich and satisfying life, but the thief wants to bring harm and ruin and devastation to your life, which brings us to this deadly sin. What is the last of the seven deadly sins? It's the sin of envy. The sin of envy or jealousy. Uh, the idea that, that you and I would have this, this inability to rejoice over someone else having something good because we envy what they have. We're jealous of what they got. And Job actually said it's a deadly sin. In Job chapter five, verse two, it says, for anger slays the foolish man and jealousy kills the simple. Jealousy kills. I've watched really good relationships destroyed because of jealousy. I've seen families not be able to find peace because of jealousy. I've been in the midst of a church staff, and one person soaring high and the other one's ministry is not doing quite as well. And I've seen jealousy cause the one who's not doing quite as well to actually go out and plant seeds of divisiveness and divisiveness against the one who was doing well. And uh, I want to tell you, it's it's insidious. It does horrible things in people. By the way, it's interesting that William Shakespeare is the one who said that jealousy is a green-eyed monster. Have you ever wondered where that term comes from? It comes from a play that, that Shakespeare wrote called Othello. And in it, he talks about the green-eyed monster of jealousy, which, by the way, causes someone to commit a murder against someone who loves them because they can't see straight, they can't think clearly. But jealousy kills. Aristotle said this, he defined envy as the pain at the sight of another's good fortune stirred by those who have what we think we ought to have. Interestingly, he calls it a great pain, a deep pain, uh, to the point that it might even create a wound. And envy is thought to be something that poisons your soul and turns you into something horrible by the way that's what's so interesting about it it's the green eyed monster that makes you a monster I want to show you a painting by Theodore Jericholt Uh, he's a famous famous French painter Uh, but I want you to look at this because this is kind of interesting to me it's it's not one of his more famous paintings because I don't think any of you would hang that in your living room (laughs) you might give it to somebody else (laughs) see I'm coming over you got it up when he initially painted this, it was called Portrait of a Demented Woman. Now, he on purpose was trying to portray jealousy and envy. but So he, he called it the Portrait of a Demented Woman. But later on, the painting changed names to the Monomaniac of Jealousy. Isn't that interesting? A Monomaniac is someone who, that's, it's all-consuming. They can't get it off their mind. And then it changed names again to the hyena. By the way, I, I feel sorry for that woman. She's known for all the art world as the hyena. Why do I think that's interesting? I don't know if you'll agree, but think about it. It starts out as a demented woman who turns into a monomaniac of jealousy who becomes a savage beast that ravages everyone around it. That, to me, is a very, very apt description of jealousy, of envy, that it, it distorts, destroys, it, it transforms not in a good way but a bad way into someone being a monster. A monster on the inside. And you know what, that's what I want to warn you about. Because if some of you, would, I think, get honest and say, I struggle with this. I struggle with envy. I struggle with jealousy. I struggle being that way. And by the way, I think many, many people do. Envy may be the thing behind the thing for you. Why can't you be more excited for other people? Why do you not have more joy? Why is that something that would be true of you? And you know what? You and I need to understand that it might be in part because we live a life where we're competing with other people, competing and comparing. And I wanna break those two up. Uh, Very often, people are competing Competing, competing all the time. In the world of social media, we're watching. One of the reasons it brings depression is because people are competing. You start to look at how many likes you got, and you, you compare that to how many likes someone else got, and and so you're competing. How can I get more likes than they have? Or maybe you've ever done this. Maybe you you put up something on social media. And very few people commented, but when you looked at what someone else put up, you're like, hey, how come they're commenting on that? They never comment on mine. And you're competing. And by the way, I want to say that that's one of those things that that ends up doing something to us that that isn't good, that, that can be harmful. And it can cause you to feel empty, like you're chasing after the wind. When you're competing with someone else to wonder, why is my family not better than their family? Why are we not making more money than they make? Why don't we have a better house than they have? Why don't we, why don't I have more friends like they have? And, and so here's what Solomon says about that. Solomon says, then I observed that most people are motivated to success because they envy their neighbors. But this too is meaningless, like chasing the wind. Now, I think it's so interesting that the wisest man who's ever lived outside of Jesus said, I've realized that people's main motivation for success is envy of their neighbors. So you know what happens? That means you're never, ever going to be satisfied. You're always going to be grasping for something that will never be enough and never be good enough. Because what happens is envy does that to you. And envy creates that, that kind of poisoning of your soul. And the inability just to rejoice over what occurred. And competing, competing, competing. By the way, in the church world, I don't know if this is something you can identify with, but um, when, when pastors like me get together, one of the things we want to know is how many people do you have attending your church? Do we want to know so can, we can rejoice what God's doing in the lives of thousands of people? Or do we want to know if we're better than that? And you know what is scary when it becomes, oh, no, our church is better because we have more people. By the way, that's not even true. Um, There are a lot of large churches out there that are not, uh, that are lukewarm. Uh, you uh, You know, sometimes we need to understand that graveyards grow, right? And it's not about putting a large church down. I wish and pray for every church to flourish and every church to grow. And whenever that starts to twist inside me, yeah. um, But if I ever start to not feel that way, then I think all of you would go, Chuck, be a better pastor than that. Be a better Christian than that. Be a better leader than that. And yet, very often, we find ourselves competing. Uh, Then there's the whole problem of comparison. By the way, in social media world, that's true. Craig was sharing something with me. He said there's kind of this uh, uh, movement amongst the next generation where a lot of them will take a bunch of selfies of themselves, and then they'll have their friends get together and pick out the best one so they can put it on, so they'll look better than everybody else. By the way, also, that's probably not how they really look. <laughs> Isn't that kind of interesting? And so, what happens is we begin to look at what someone else has, what someone else bought, what someone else is experiencing, and we begin to, to compare our lives to their lives, and, and we're never happy because we don't have what they have. And again, Solomon warned about that in Ecclesiastes 6.9, where he said, enjoy what you have rather than uh, desiring what you don't have. Just dreaming about nice things is meaningless, like chasing the wind. Enjoy what you have. Enjoy what you have. Teddy Roosevelt said that comparison is the thief of joy, Mark Twain said, comparisons, the death of joy. They both saw the idea that when we begin to compare and start envying what other people have, it ruins the joy we could have in the moment. It takes away the everything God wants you to experience. It's, it's grasping after something that's not real. And envy does that. Jealousy does that. Uh, here's where I was going when I kind of alluded to this in the beginning of the message envy is what we call a secondary emotion. Now, now I'm going to ask you to hang with me on this because I found out that a lot of people don't understand primary emotion and secondary emotion. But I think when you understand it, you're going to go, oh, this is worth knowing. So here's what I want you to know. There are primary emotions. Now, what is a primary emotion? Those are emotions that are universal. Uh, uh, Some people think a primary emotion is like the underlying emotion that gives birth to other emotions. That's not technically true. Primary emotions are universal. In other words, if you go to every culture around the the country or around the world, you'll find those primary emotions there. Secondary emotions, are you ready for this, are not universal. Uh, Here's what's so interesting then as a believer Primary emotions are innate within you because they were put there by the creator. God created you with these primary emotions. Uh, He created them so you could experience life better, so you could love better, so you could actually be safe and, and be kept from things that would hurt you. These secondary emotions are cultural. But by the way, as a Christian, we'd say they're of the world. And secondary emotions, by and large, are sinful. But they're not innate. God did not plant them within you. What happens is something the thief came and began to incite these within you to cause you harm and to ruin relationships. And so we begin to understand that. So why is that important? Well, God gave you a primary emotion called love, fear, anger, joy, sadness, disgust, contempt, surprise. By the way, it also can include shame, shyness, and guilt. All of those in the end can make your life better, believe it or not. But envy and jealousy is a secondary emotion. God did not put that within you. We live in a culture that incites that, that uses comparison and competing to fuel something that would be harmful to you and harmful to others. And so what happens is that that's a secondary emotion. By the way, pride is a secondary emotion along with envy, frustration, and jealousy. God never made you to experience these things. God never wanted that to be what drove your life and motivated you to be who you are. So God did not put that innately within you. And God doesn't want that to be who you are. And by the way, here's the good news. The Bible teaches you can be freed from that and you don't have to let that be a part of you. See, when you're filled with envy, then you don't believe that God, God is gonna take care of you or God's gonna bless you or the blessings of God you have right now are worth celebrating and rejoicing in. And we know people who have, suffer from envy and suffer from jealousy, they end up living lives of despair. Despair, wow. Because it's never good enough You're not sure if it's going to last. You're not sure if you can trust the people in your life. So now all of a sudden you're jealous because in any moment you think the love they supposedly have is just going to fade away and be gone. And you just can't, can't get away from the discouragement that takes place because envy brings discouragement. And it can bring really horrible things out of people. When I was doing Next Gen Ministry years ago, this is back when I first started, and, I, and some of you are gonna understand how far back this goes. Uh, there was a particular actress named Farrah Fawcett, and then she became Farrah Fawcett Major. Anybody know who she is? Okay, you guys do. Well, she was famous for her hair. Do you remember that? She had the Farrah Fawcett haircut. that all these women went out and got haircuts like it. Well, um, at a particular high school in this local area a girl got a Farrah Fawcett haircut and showed up at school and all of the people were talking about how good she looked, especially her friends. They were raving about her. And she was standing at her locker having the best day of her life because so many people said how good she looked. Felt a tap on her shoulder and turned around and one of her very best friends threw acid in her face. Now this has really happened and and I know... And when the girl did it, later on she was interviewed and she actually said this. She said, as I was throwing the asset, I thought, why am I doing this? But we know why she was doing it. She knew why she was doing it. She was jealous. But she couldn't take it back. The minute it went up, she had gotten it from one of the labs. The minute it went up and it hit her friend, scarring her in a horrible way, Now, you would say that's extreme, and I'm going to agree it's extreme, but it happens because jealousy and envy kills. Jealousy and envy ruins, and jealousy and envy is not from God. As a matter of fact, James tells us something you don't want to miss, where James says this. James says in James 3, 13 to 16, who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom, but If you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual. Do you see that word? Demonic. Whenever I have envy, whenever I have jealousy, whenever you do, you're responsible for it, but the demons are a part of inciting it. Remember, it wasn't given to you by God. It wasn't given to you by God. It says, for where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. See, it's confusing when people act like that. When, when you know, all of a sudden you find out, oh my gosh, so-and-so got this, and you feel this other person over here not able to rejoice and wanting everybody else not to be excited for them. And uh, I think all of you would agree with this. I think all of you would agree. Get ready that it's so much more freeing, it's so much more liberating to rejoice with other people than it is to walk around wondering, why did I not get that? Why not me? Would you agree with that? Yeah. And, and don't you think, it, yeah. And I want to ask, don't you think it makes everybody else freer and, and more excited? And God says, I want you to be aware of the dangers of this, of what it can do. I want you to be aware of what can take place. Which brings us to something that Craig taught on already, but I want to go back into it the first time we see envy and jealousy kill. It's at the very beginning of time amongst two brothers named Cain and Abel. Adam and Eve were put in the Garden of Eden, which is the most incredible place they could have ever lived. And then what happened is we know that they sinned, and they, we, they had what we call the fall, and they went outside the garden. But prior to them being kicked out of the garden, prior to them going out, God told Eve something. He said, one day your seed, and by the way, a woman doesn't have a seed. One seed, one day your seed is going to strike the enemy, the devil, on the head. And he will strike him on the heel." It was the first prophecy of Jesus, the idea that one day there would be a child who would come from a woman that would actually deal a death blow to Satan, but also would be wounded by Satan. And so Jesus was wounded by Satan when he took our sins upon himself. But here's the thing. So Adam and Eve go out of the Garden of Eden. She knows one day a child's going to come from a woman. And she actually hears the word her seed, not knowing. It's going to be generations and generations later. And she gets pregnant and has children, probably twins, by the way. Gets pregnant and has children, probably twins. It says, now the man had relations with his wife Eve and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. Now the word Cain literally means the begotten one. Do you get where this is going? She's going, it's him, it's the begotten one. And she said this, I have gotten a man child with the help of the Lord. She goes, the God gave me the one, he's here. He's gonna get us back in the garden of Eden. He is the begotten one. Then again, She gave birth to his brother Abel. The word Abel means frail or sickly or but a breath. So should one moment she's holding Cain, maybe again twins, maybe not, and Cain is strong and vibrant and, and the child of promise and the begotten one of the Lord. And then later she's horrified to hold a child who's barely can breathe, who's frail, who they're not sure is gonna make it. And it says, and Abel was the keeper of the flocks, but Cain was the tiller of the ground. Now that's important. How much effort and strength does it take to watch over sheep? What's the answer? None. You just watch them, especially back then. In other words, he was so frail, he could not do the hard, hard work that Cain could do. And Cain was the tiller of the ground, just like his dad, Adam. And he's strong. And then it happens. So it came about in the course of time that Cain, the begotten one, brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground. And Abel, the frail one and sickly one, on his part also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. By the way, hopefully you're doing our Bible reading. If you are today, you saw in Leviticus that, you know what, when you're coming to do a dedication to God, a burnt offering to God, and then you'll read about this tomorrow, a sin or a guilt offering, you always bring an offering from the flock, or, or at least an offering that would be a sacrifice of an animal. You only bring, you only bring... Uh, You only bring the produce of the ground as either thanksgiving or fellowship offering. In other words, you're not doing that for sin. I hope I'm not losing you because that's the problem here. Cain is standing before God saying, thank you for who I am. And Abel's coming saying, I need you, Lord. Forgive me. Forgive me, forgive me. And so what occurs? It says, but for Cain and for his offering, he, God, had no regard. Why? Because he's not coming and asking for forgiveness. He's not coming and asking for God's mercy. So Cain became very angry, and his countenance fell. And then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why is your countenance fallen? See, in that moment, Cain is embarrassed. Cain's pride is hurt. And now he is envious and jealous of his brother who's been accepted. In front of everybody... Abel, the frail one, the sick one, is the one that everybody says, look, God's favor is upon him. God's blessing is upon him. It doesn't say it directly, but I have a feeling Adam and Eve stood there going, we were wrong. Look how good the son is. Look how great he's doing. Look how God is honoring him. But Cain stands there embarrassed. And Cain becomes jealous. His countenance falls. Have you ever been in a setting where somebody else is celebrated and you look over and you can see it on their face, uh, the person who's not happy about it? Anybody been in that moment? Where you just look and go, uh-oh, they're not handling this well. I've been in many moments like that where I've looked and went, oh. And here's what I want to say again. It's, it, it, it's hard on everybody because you're like, do I keep celebrating this person with this person st- standing there shining out, sending out a clear signal saying, "Why not me? Why not me?" It's just not a good place to be. So God says to Cain, "If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? You know, you'll look better. You won't be the hyena. Remember the picture of the hyena." You won't be the hyena, and if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door, and its desirous for you, but you must master it. By the way, this part right here, don't miss this. This idea you must master it also means you can master it. All of you, all of us, whatever deadly sin you have, you know what God tells you? You don't have to be that way. It's called free will. And also it's called letting the Holy Spirit take over. You don't have to be that way. You don't have to be jealous. You don't have to be angry. You don't have to be prideful. You don't have to have bad feelings against someone else. The Lord says you don't have to be that way. So God says, why are you angry? Why are you angry? Proverbs chapter 23, verse 17 says, don't envy sinners, but always continue in the fear of the Lord. You will be rewarded for this. Your hope will not be disappointed. Now see, when we actually have the right attitude and don't have an attitude of envy, God said, I'm going to reward you. I'm going to, to, to honor you. So God says, what will happen is you're going to get a reward by not living in the deadly sin of envy, but living in what's called the cardinal virtue of gratitude. What is the opposite of envy? What is the cardinal virtue? The way God created you to be is to be a thankful person, a person of gratitude for what you have and actually gratitude for what other people get. That's what God wants you to live with. That's who God wants you to be. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, it says this, always be joyful. Always be joyful. By the way, don't miss that. Always be joyful never stop praying be thankful in all circumstances for this is god's will for you who belong to christ jesus so god's will for me god's will for you is that you'd always be joyful you would never stop praying and you're just thankful by the way thankful in what circumstances all circumstances in every single circumstance you could be thankful Uh, A friend of mine, Kyle Eidemann, I've shared this with you before, he gave me a phrase that I gave to many of you. I think it's an incredible gift Kyle gave us. And it's how can you be thankful in all circumstances? Whenever you are in a bad circumstance, you say these words. It could be worse. It could be worse. By the way, I think it always could be worse. Don't you agree it could be worse? And by the way, did you notice how many people laughed when you heard that? You know, it could be worse, you know. Got a flat tire today, it could be worse. Car ran out of gas, it could be worse. Get out of shower, look in the mirror, could be worse. (laughs) Could be. By the way, it's way more fun. I actually use that. I I taught it a while back, but I use it all the time. And it makes me laugh. And it gives me an ability to be thankful in all circumstances because it could be worse. It could be worse. Ephesians 5 20 says this and give thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ so notice this idea of giving thanks for everything when I have a blessing come my way thank you God when I have a trial come my way thank you God by the way what's it saying James whenever you're in a trial what are you supposed to do rejoice just rejoice smile laugh it could be worse you know what? God wants you and I to be those kind of people who live our lives that way. And that's who we're supposed to be and who we are. And, and by the way, um, I do want to say this. I feel like when, when I realize it could be worse, it makes me be more have gratitude, but it also makes me want to bless other people more. When I've walked the streets of Kenya, when I've been in the Kim Michael Slum, That especially when we first got there was one of the worst slums in all the world. And I looked at the joy of the children and I looked at the love for life they had and yet how hard it was. I thought, you know what? I need to be more thankful for what I've got. So every month when I choose to sponsor a child, every month that payment goes out, I think, you know what? I'm blessed. I'm blessed. Because I have it easier. My kids have never struggled. They've never gone through the pain those kids go through. And yet they still have joy. And uh, it helps me. It helps me to be thankful for what I have. And you know what? We're making a difference. I want you to watch a video about that right now.
1: My name is Rafael Kingola. I work as an Associate Director, Development and Strategy. Missions of Hope International is a ministry full of compassion. The Word of God commands us to go help the needy, the poor, the orphan children and the widows. And so Missions of Hope is strategically positioned to continue with this command, helping the disadvantaged communities in Kenya and beyond wherever the Lord leads us. As you see this kid coming from a destitute family, with no hope in their lives, and then they begin to receive some some sense of hope, and within no time they are all beaming with joy, because of the things that happen around them when they come to a missions of hope school, the fulfilment of God's command to go out and serve the needy, the disadvantaged, the orphaned children, needs uh, help, helping hands and feet. So to me sponsors are the the hands that go to do the work so as a sponsor comes around a child it is a way of uh, you know uh, encouraging these children every child that comes to a missions of hope school is guaranteed of a brighter future children come to school and they receive quality christian education they receive two meals every day they also receive medical care they receive the life-changing message of Jesus Christ, and they are guaranteed of transformation now and even for eternity. Due to the COVID pandemic, uh, things have not been easy. You know, the inflation is serious on this part of the world, and so the cost of goods have gone up, the cost of food, and so this kind of uh, strains our budgets. The school terms have changed. We're actually having four terms in a year something that has never happened before. And so this means we have to push the budgets to accommodate an extra term. And uh, for sure we are serving and we are having over 8,000 unsponsored children in our schools across the ministry, Uh, more than we can accommodate. But because of the love that we have for them, we keep writing their names down because we want to give them this assurance that we care. invite you Crossroads Christian Church to be the hands and the feet of Jesus Christ in the disadvantaged communities that we are serving as missions of all would you consider sponsoring a child today I want to thank you so much for what you've done the support you've given to us in Otterot, in Kiamiko, by sponsoring the children before may God bless you and do you good
0: Without a doubt, uh, taking the time to give $38 a month so that other children's lives could be better is a way to remind myself of the blessing I have in my life. And it, it's, it's a way, it really is a very tangible way to benefit someone else, bless someone else, and thank God for the blessing I have. And uh, without a doubt, uh, we have a need. COVID has created another crisis in Kenya where we have hundreds and hundreds of children who need to be sponsored. And uh, it's life-changing when you do it. So I had Tracy come up here today, and here's why. Uh, Tracy, you were actually sitting where everybody else was sitting a while back. I was sitting and right there. Where right. were you sitting? Right there. Oh, Steven. that's right there, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you took her seat. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> but tell what happened.
2: Yes, yeah, so we, it was in 2016 and I was sitting right there, where Steven sitting, and uh, we did a video of uh, a girl who sponsored a child and then she got to go to Kenya and meet her sponsor child. And then in the service, just like today, they, um, they had an appeal if you want to sponsor a child. And so me and my sister looked at each other, we're like, yeah, we have to sponsor a child. We went out those doors, we each sponsored a child, and that same day we signed up to go to Kenya. And then in that time frame, being on the team, I ended up picking up another kid. I sponsored two kids. And I'm going to show you what, how I got a chance to meet them. This is cool. Yeah. I got to meet him in 2017. And uh, it was incredible. And then I'll show you a picture of my other sponsor. Um, that's me, Cool, and Evelyn. And so in 2016, I got to meet them. And let me tell you, when we talk about envy, there's nothing like... Um, Sponsoring a child that forces you to not think about your problems, but instead you get to sponsor a child and pray for them, for their future, for their family. And then if you get the privilege of seeing them and meeting them, it means so much to them knowing that somebody across the world cares about them and is invested in their future. Since then, I've picked up a third sponsor and Bashar was in that video that we saw today. And so hopefully I get to see him this year but um it's an incredible experience
0: it changes your life doesn't it
2: 100 percent. i mean you want to meet a grateful people you go to kenya and you see people living godliness with contentment every day and it's incredible and again we have such first world problems <laughs> that when you go there you, you can't help but be be so grateful and so um, honored to be part of these kids lives
0: oh yeah yeah and uh I know you and I share in this that, you know, whenever you, every single month know that's happening, it's just a reminder of how blessed we are. Would you agree?
2: Oh, for sure, for sure. And $38, I mean, I I sponsor three, and so there are things I actively don't do so that I can continue to sponsor my three kids, because it's not a lot, but it's everything for them.
0: Yeah, and I've said this before, please don't miss it, Tracy. I'm going to ask you to back me up on this. While we make sure they have two meals a day, while we make sure they have medical care, dental care, and a Christian education, all of that matters huge. Mm -hmm. But here's something else. What really is game changing is the kids know they're crossroads. Mm -hmm. They really believe they belong to us. They believe they're a part of us. Is that true?
2: Yeah, for sure, for sure. It's so cool. I mean, knowing knowing that you sponsor them, because we sponsor communities and so you get to go to a community that knows it's crossroads and it's it's so cool it's so cool
0: yeah and you and i've got to go there if I, if I and i hope number one all of you sponsor a child are we have a goal between now and easter to sponsor 500 more children uh, because we need to make a difference. We've got to do that. And I'm going to encourage you today to do that. You can text a sponsor to 77247. Uh, or you can, when you go out the doors, there's, uh, we have a table out there, area out there that will help you do that. But I'm really hoping you'll join with us to do that. So everybody here, everybody online, please do it please do it but what I want to tell you is this is that you will actually get the name of a child that's a very real child that if you were to go visit them it's incredible but I, a couple of trips ago I went and I was with somebody and we were walking through the slum and they go hey it's not as bad as I thought it would be and I said but this isn't what it was like back when we started mm-hmm. it's changed hasn't oh, yeah. it
2: even I've I've gone uh, three times and Over the past three times, I've gone improvements every year, and it's incredible because the organization that we work with, they are actively involved in the communities, improving them, and you see that year over year.
0: Yeah, so here's what I want to tell you is we have a history since 2007 of effectively seeing life change happen, Mm -hmm. but I hope you will join us in that. I hope you'll be a part of it, and here's why. It's one of the best ways to battle envy and jealousy. And would you agree that that's true? Yeah, for it's sure. It's like a spiritual discipline yeah. moment.
2: And anytime you find yourself jealous or envious, it's a great opportunity to pause and pray for your sponsor child. Yep.
0: Yeah. amen, <laughs> amen. So right now, I want you to pray lead us in prayer that we would be a church that would change the lives of 500 more children right now.
2: Father God, I thank you so much that you led us um, to an organization that cares about its people, that cares about the children. And um, as we are here right now, I pray that you would uh, work in our hearts to... um, actively go out and care, and care for these kids. By sponsoring a child, I pray that you would um, open doors for us as a church to sponsor these 500 kids. I pray that you would um, just work in our hearts if there's any avenue that we can sacrifice something to do this and to make a difference in a kid's life. I pray that you would make that known right now. And we just lift this up to you in Jesus' name.
0: Amen, amen. amen. So I showed you a painting a very uh, a, from a famous painter, but not a famous painting called The Hyena. There's another painting that's actually more famous by Rhoda Nyberg. Has anybody seen this before? It's super famous, but it's called, are you ready for what it's called? Grace. Grace. There's a, a, a dual meaning here. It's the idea of this man sitting and saying grace or praying in thankfulness over a bowl of soup, a piece of bread, and having his Bible. But it's also about the grace of God comes when we're thankful like that. Uh, Kind of a fun thing to know is this. Pam, back when we were at Christ Church of the Valley, was sitting in our cafe that we had there. And she looked up and saw a man who looked so much like this with his hands folded almost exactly like that. She snapped the picture. She got a picture of him right away. And she went up and said, you remind me of one of my, my favorite paintings. And she showed him the picture on the back of the camera. And this man looked up at her and said, you know what? This man was my great-great-grandfather. Is that wild? And he said, oh, he loved the Lord. He loved the Lord. And uh, he said, if I could be anything like him. He didn't have to have a lot to be happy. He just had to have Jesus. I hope you know you don't need a lot to be happy. But when you have Jesus, you have everything. Yeah. And today could be a day where you discover that change, where you walk out living God's will for your life. I want to show you the pictures side by side. Do you want to be this or this? And you know what? I all agree. Don't we want to be this? Don't we want to be thankful? Don't we want to be gratitude-oriented people? And God wants it for you. Now, transformation comes when you are caught up in a sin and you become more hideous. But transformation comes when you give yourself to the Lord and you probably could not be more beautiful, more incredible, more amazing and live that kind of life. Today, right now, wherever you are, watching online or here on the patio, if you're ready to say, I wanna change, maybe it's envy, maybe it's jealousy and you need a breakthrough from that, you need a break from that, then call out to God with me right now. Maybe it's one of the other seven deadly sins of pride or, or lust or, or anger. Maybe you need to be set free from one of those. Call out to God right now because God does this. He takes your greatest weakness and makes it your greatest strength. He takes that greatest problem of sin and turns it into your greatest virtue. God creates change. Are you ready for this? I believe this is all my heart. People can change. Do you believe people can change? Yeah, I believe people can change. And I've watched it happen in me and I've watched it in others. Today could be your day of change. Right now, if you love the Lord, pray for people to say yes to him. Let's go to the God in prayer. Lord, I pray right now for you to touch the heart of anybody who now needs to open up their lives to you, commit their lives to you and experience real change. And I pray they will. I pray they will. Jesus, by the power of your blood, may they find change. By the movement of the Holy Spirit, may they find change. And if that's you right now, I'm going to ask you to pray a prayer with me where you say yes to God so you can change. Say these words: Say, Lord Jesus, I know if I commit my life to you, I can change. And I want to change. I want to be different. I want your forgiveness, I want your love. And I want the life you have for me. Help me change. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Amen. And if you pray that prayer, praise God. And if you pray that prayer and you're online, I want you to text amen to 77247 so we can interact with you about the change that God wants you to experience.
1: Thanks again for joining us. Here at Crossroads, we're all about helping people take their next step.
0: So,
2: what's your next step? Whether you've made a decision to follow Jesus, want to be baptized, or you're interested in knowing more about God and the Bible through our Alpha class, we can help you take your next step at crossroadschurch.family. We also want to invite you to gather your family and friends to join us right here online again next week. We're live Wednesdays at 7 p.m. or Sundays at 9 a.m. So if you're watching on YouTube, hit that subscribe button and you'll never miss out on any new messages. If you found this message encouraging, click the like button and let us know how we can pray for you this week in the comments. Finally, if your life is being impacted by Crossroads and if you wanna be part of making an impact all over the world, you can head to CrossroadsChurch. Family to do that now
1: thanks again for watching and we'll see you next time